another podcast episode of Indigenous Roots and Hoots, produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. Indigenous Roots and Hoots is about Indigenous people and culture, past and present, success stories and inspiring stories about Indigenous people and what they are doing today. Whether it's arts, music, sports, business, education, and so on, Indigenous people are affecting positive change in their communities throughout Canada. Our aim here is to create a better awareness about Indigenous people to help bridge the gap of understanding for the reconciliation process in Canada to grow. Hello and welcome to this podcast of Indigenous Roots and Hoots, produced by the Lexia Hope Foundation. I'm your host, Borden Spence, and our guest today is Mr. Jim Compton from Winnipeg, Manitoba. Jim Compton was the first Indigenous broadcaster on CBC News from 1982 to 1992. He won two human rights awards for his documentary specials on Indian policing and the Penguins of Land Surrender of 1911. He also won two Geminis for a series titled Sniff and a Gemini for a two hour primetime special titled Drums, looking at indigenous issues across Canada. Jim is a founder of APTN, the Aboriginal People's Television Network. Mr. Compton also worked with the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples and is the artistic director at the Adam Beach Film Institute. Jim's company titled Rising Day Media has produced, written, and directed numerous documentaries. His list of productions spans four decades, all speak to the spirit and the resiliency of his people, their struggles, their hopes, and their achievements. Hello, Jim, how are you today? Good, Gordon. Good to see you again. Yeah. Uh, nice to finally get a chance to do this with you. I've been thinking about you, trying to track you down, and finally we get this opportunity to uh, to speak with you. So uh, maybe you can start by you know, talking a little bit about your your background, uh, your, your family, where you come from, your cultural identity, a bit about yourself and your whole community. Sure. Uh, well, my... Um... My, my first nation is uh, Kisiku's First Nation. As you can see behind me, uh, I, I've got the, the symbol there. And um, it's uh, where my mother was from, where my mother went to a residential school at the, the St. Philip's uh, um, Residential School, uh, one of the many residential schools across uh, Canada. So uh, my relatives are there. Um, I'm, I'm now uh, living in Winnipeg. And um, my wife uh, is from Sandy Bay. First Nation. And so I have relatives this way. I also have relatives um, uh, through my aunties uh, up in Indian Birch, uh, Sapotewiak. Uh, and my brother, my brother was adopted into, uh, and of course, you know, my brother, Gordon, yeah. he was adopted into um, Sioux Valley First Nation, Birdtail First Nation. And uh, so I have uh, relatives that way too. So yeah, I have um, Indigenous relatives there. Uh, my father, my father was uh, uh, James Compton, and he was from uh, um, Prince Edward Island. He he claimed to have a, a, a you know Indigenous roots there with um, the four uh, First Nations that are there, and uh, yeah. So uh, and my father was a Korean War veteran, um, stationed here in Winnipeg, and uh, uh, met my mother. Um, here in Winnipeg, when she she was um, uh, a candy striper at the St. Boniface Hospital, and uh, he was in there for um, 
checkups. <laughs> so, you know, uh, he had, he had uh, been in the Korean war, he was wounded. And uh, so he was in there on and off anyway. So that, that's, that's sort of the broad, the broad strokes of uh, my background. And um, yeah, that, that's how uh, your father met your mother. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Through, uh, through the, through a war, war injury. <laughs> Where is uh, Kisikus? Anyway, is that in Saskatchewan? Or? Yeah, it's just it's over the it's just over the line. Um, yeah, you know, most people don't know Manitoba, but if you take the 16, yeah, uh, and you go north from um, uh, Yorkton, yeah, uh, you'll you, you'll go to a place called Campsack, and just north of Campsack are three reserves. Right. There's uh, there's Cody's, uh, Kisikus, and um, Keys. So those are the three three reserves that are in close proximity. One of actually, Kiskus and Cody's are side by side. Sure. Yeah. So I, I mean, I I I, um, I spent a, uh, my cultural time there with with the Sundance. Yeah. Um, you know, we 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 go every year. My mother, uh, that's where she uh, has all of her relatives, and that's where I have my uh, cultural connections with my um, my uncles and my uh, nieces and my cousins. Yeah. So uh, I I I I take the trip. Uh, it's about a four four and a four or five hour drive from Winnipeg uh, to get up there. I had read. Uh, I think maybe in your biography you you, you mentioned you, you said you're Anishinaabe, and now to me Anishinaabe is Ojibwe, and uh, uh, but uh, Kisiko is isn't that Cree country? Well, you know what, um, my. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. My, my auntie uh, was um, from Kisikus, yeah. married into Indian Birch, which is Cree. So she spoke fluent Cree. And uh, the chief Kisikus, he was um, in, in um, Pine Creek and uh, Sapotewiak. Sapotewiak used to be uh, an Anishinaabe Soto reserve. And now they speak Cree. So the history of, of, of the Anishinaabe Cree in that area, because of the uh, alliances for trapping and trading and hunting, they intersected there. So what you had was a, a unique mix of uh, Soto, Cree, uh, Anishinaabe. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, when you, when you go up that way, um, you know, you'll find a lot of them can speak, uh, you know, the Cree and, and the, uh, the Soto. Uh, which is which is a mix. So, yeah, there is a uh, I would say an alliance between the Cree and the uh, Anishinaabe there, and that's why you get uh, people called the Soto. Well, yeah, the uh, the Anishinaabe uh, in in that area uh, up around Indian Birch and Sapotewiak and and uh, going west. What happened was uh, the Anishinaabe needed to create alliance with those uh, trappers in that area. So there was a there was a um, a political alliance between the Anishinaabe and the uh, the Cree, and um, where where that area Sapotewiak used to be Anishinaabe community. They used to uh, hunt and fish and and trade in that area. So yeah, I, I have uh, my auntie was married into Indian Birch, and uh, she could speak uh, uh, fluent Cree, and I have relatives that are now in Sapotewiak, and they could speak uh, uh, Cree as well. So yeah, there was there was a political alliance uh, back then, and uh, they uh, they they also call themselves the Soto in that area. Um, so that's 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 us. 
You are one of the first indigenous broadcasters on the CBC network. Tell us about how you landed that role and your experience there. Yeah. Um, well, I, I was a, um, a print journalist in Winnipeg. I started out with um, um, an indigenous-based uh, newspaper called Central City People. Uh, and then they changed it to Central City News because they thought it was too... Um, uh, communist sounding, right? So, okay. uh, <laughs> Central City people was changed to Central City News, but basically, um, uh, it's where I started. It was 1980. Uh, I had some journalist experience from um, uh, going back to school, Red River. I had a, a journalism uh, diploma, and I also took journalism when I went to Brandon University, and also when I went down to um, um, the Institute for American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I was, I became the editor there. And, um, and then I also did some, some work up in uh, Boulder, Colorado, um, journalism, film studies. Right. So, uh, came back, needed a job. Um, and, uh, central city people was starting up. I, um, um, became the reporter and, and the photographer and, uh, and, you know, I had an editor a fellow by the name of Don Marks. Uh, very influ influential in the in the city of Winnipeg for uh, um, journalism and uh, you know getting the word out for indigenous people. So that was the idea: is that we would get the word out for uh, in in relation to indigenous people, uh, and also all the people living in the in the community. So it was, you know, if you look at it, it was a basically a reconciliation project back in 1980 to bring all those people together, that tell their true. stories, and uh, and uh, and tell our stories. So that's where I got started uh, back then. And then um, I applied to the film board to take uh, film studies because I, I always wanted to be a documentary maker. And um, they weren't uh, hiring at the time, but CBC had a program that was going across the country to hire um, uh, people of diversity. But they already had hired the, their, their person who was out of uh, Regina, a fellow by the name of Dan David. Uh, very well known in, in journalistic circles, uh, probably in Ottawa, that area, uh, and over here in, in um, um, Saskatchewan. Anyway, the the that program was starting, and there was another program in the city of Winnipeg called the Core Area Initiative. And uh, so, what I did is um, when I got turned down by the National Film Board, I applied to the Core Area Initiative to see if they could get me on at CBC because CBC had that program. I knew about that program. And um, they agreed to pay my salary for one year. So that's where I got my start. That was in 1982. Um, and um, I, you know, researched for a year. I pitched stories. Um, I don't know how in-depth you want to get into it, but I, uh, I, I really got my start when um, at the end of the, the one-year contract, when they hired this fellow from Northern Ireland. And uh, so he had a keen interest in, in, you know, the plight of the indigenous people because of what's happening in his own uh, uh, country and his, his own town there, Belfast. And um, so, you know, I pitched him on a story and uh, that story, very first story I did was the one that you had mentioned, which was uh, it got a, a Gemini award for writing, uh, which was called Sniff. So we did it. We did a two, because and it was you know it was it was really in depth. So we did two documentaries for the uh, Supper Time News. Um, you know my contract was running out. Um, we did the two stories, and 
because of the acclaim that it got, um, CBC quickly hired me and uh, my salary went, it doubled. And, um, and you know, the, the rest is history. I started working with, uh, you know, the Irish journalist and, um, and then I started working with some of the other ones. I mean, uh, you had to break ground, I guess, pay your, pay your dues. So I paid, I paid a lot of dues with yeah. working with, uh, you know, an all, yeah, an all white, an all white um, newsroom. But um, so I, I, I rose up through the ranks and um, I, um, you know, did daily news. I did evening news. I did weekend news. Um, you know, I, 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 I did all those and I, pitched another show, which uh, the networks were looking at at the time, because this is during the Oka crisis and they wanted to look at indigenous issues across the country. And so um, we pitched and, and launched uh, a two hour primetime special called drums, which looked at the issues that were affecting indigenous people, residential schools, uh, murder to missing women, you know, back in 19, this was 1992, um, 91. So uh, we, 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 we did a two-hour uh, primetime special, and it won uh, the Gemini, the Canada Award. And um, so that was my, my uh, TV television history. And, um, yeah, so then I, I, I moved on from there. Uh, Jim, you uh, had won two human rights awards on your documentary specials, one titled In- Indian Policing, and the other was titled The Pegasus Land Surrender, 1911, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Tell us a bit about these two awards and how much receiving the awards meant to you. Well, maybe I'll start with Indian, Indian policing. Um, Indian sure. policing came out of the, um, the shooting of J.J. Harper. And um, I don't know if your audience would remember that, but J.J. Uh, Harper was a, a grand chief from I believe the Swampy Cree Tribal Council or Island Lake Tribal Council, sorry. And um, he was connected to uh, um, Elijah Harper, who was a member of parliament at the time. So yeah. um, he was he was essentially um, murdered on the streets of Winnipeg by the Winnipeg police. Uh, and there was a, an investigation. And um, I, I, I did one of the news stories when it first came out. And I, because I knew Elijah, the, the funny story and not funny story, but the uh, co- coincident story is that I lived on Victor street, which was close to the CBC. And my next door neighbor was Elijah Harper. So I would see him almost every day, you know, <laughs> in passing or, yeah. you know, and uh, he, he was such a, a, a nice, um, a genuine, uh, amenable person. And you, you probably know him, Gordon. Anyway. So uh, when, when, when uh, JJ, JJ Harper was shot. I, I called Elijah and, and, uh, you know, got all the information, uh, who to talk to and everything else. So we did the news story, but, um, what had happened is, you know, so we, we, we started looking at documentaries to find out, you know, what were the issues behind his, his, um, murder. And, uh, one of the issues was that there were no Indian police. Uh, you know, there was at the time, uh, you could, you, you couldn't find any. So you had an all white police force. Uh, and, you know, of course, today, if you look at what's happening with the Toronto police force, that's exactly what we had uh, uh, back there in 1990, I believe it was, uh, or 89, one of those one of those years. And um, so I did an in-depth uh, documentary 
Uh, I was a writer broadcaster and uh, we looked at Indian policing and, and why there were no indigenous uh, police. And, uh, and, you know, and then it was submitted to the Manitoba human rights committee and um, it was, it, it won the award. And then, the second one was, was this when you were the was this when you were with CBC News? Yes, CBC News. Yeah, okay. and, and yeah. So you had reporters, you had writer broadcasters. I was a writer broadcaster, so my my job was to look in depth at the issues, uh, the events, and, and and get into the issue. And the issue was right. at, at that time, why were there no Indian police? And you know, we talked to you know all the police force. We talked to uh, experts, and uh, and then you know we 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 just walked the streets with with a camera and the yeah. incidents that came up i mean you know the, the the police were always in contact you know they were walking the streets they were always in contact with indigenous people so it could have happened over and over again so what you really needed was to provide public safety for indigenous people and and the yeah. police force wasn't doing it so we won an award for that story and uh, i was very proud of that one the second one it was um, the pig was surrendered in 1911. And I had, uh, I'm a history buff. And, um, you know, I, when, when I used to go out and do stories, we did stories on the, the pig community, pig first nation uh, in uh, Manitoba. You know, they were always leading the, the march uh, the, um, for rights in, in the city of Winnipeg. They would march on, you know, uh, Indian affairs and, uh, and uh, you know, Beyond the bullhorn and everything else. So, you're I, talking about the uh, the Peguis people. Peguis, yes, the Peguis people. And I knew uh, Louis Louis Stevenson, who was the chief at the time, and yeah, uh, he was That's very another another and very amenable, you know, very giving. Um, and he was a grand chief as well of uh, the some yeah. uh, chiefs. Yeah. But uh, so I, I I said, you know, what's behind? And I, you know, I, of course I knew because I, I did the research, um, uh, at the, um, it's called the TAR treaty and Aboriginal rights research. And, uh, so I, I knew the story. So I, I pitched it to, uh, CBC as a documentary and, uh, basically looked at, you know, how the, the Pegasus people were, um, uh, how their land and their community and their exile was uh, carried out by the uh, department of Indian affairs. Uh, so that the um, settlers of the Selkirk area could take their land. So they took their land. Right. They did not provide them any uh, uh, compensation. They just basically, through a, a fraudulent um, uh, vote, when, when, when most people were out hunting, they uh, paid uh, the, the residents to vote to surrender the land, which they did not. So, and they called it the, the Pegwa surrender of 1911. Anyway, so, um, so we went back, we interviewed the chief, we interviewed some of the people that were still alive from 1911 and, and, and what happened. And, uh, they took that story and they took it to court. They showed it in the court when they had the, for the land claim for the compensation. And, uh, the, the lawyer was, um, I think it was Doug McLeod. And um, it was Louis um, Lloyd uh, Stevenson was the lawyer there. He was from Peguas and they used that documentary in the court case. And um, they, they were compensated for over $150 million. 
So I was very proud of that. Uh, but at the time, it, it did win a, a, a another Manitoba Human Rights Award, and um, yeah, yeah, I have it on my on my wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So very yeah, proud of those two a... stories, and um, you know, it you know, for me, it just goes to show you that you know, having an Indigenous person that is looking for those stories to help move the uh, the ledger, the the envelope forward for for our people. Is so important yeah. and so important that they be in those uh, all white newsrooms, you know, directing mm-hmm. that. So I was very proud of those two stories. Actually, you know, uh, I was just reading uh, about the um, before I, you know, I we arranged this interview with you. I was just reading about the Pegasus Land Surrender of 1911 and. Uh, and they were actually moved from where they were originally. Uh, uh, they were like more south, uh, closer to Winnipeg. And uh, where they're moved to now is a is, is a flood zone, is it not? And uh, they were living in the Selkirk area. Some of them were living in a place called Saint Petersburg, which is just south of the lakes. They were supposed to be moved too, but uh, they they stood firm. And it's 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 a really unique story. And I just interviewed one of the <laughs> one of the um, uh, historians uh, who works with the um, Museum of Man and Nature, um, Trevor Gray Eyes. He's also a publisher. Yep. Anyway, so he's writing a book on what happened to them. And yeah, so yeah, for the majority of those people were moved to the swamplands of um, where they are now, which is north of, in, it's in the Interlake, uh, just off of uh, Lake uh, Manitoba. Yeah. Lake Winnipeg. Yeah. Lake Winnipeg, sorry, Lake Winnipeg. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah and and uh, so they 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 are now in a floodplain. Uh, they do not get any compensation. They're looking to you know like, like a lot of the the southern farmers get um, permanent dikes built to protect their homes, yeah. protect their communities. Uh, but that is their home. That is where they live. But they also have land in the Selkirk area, which where they with the, which they managed to uh, get back through the compensation. But uh, they right. haven't built there, and they haven't um, done too much there yet. But there's a lot of uh, potential there. I, I know that they are talking right now with the community of uh, Selkirk, uh, the the town of Selkirk, to uh, develop something uh, from an economic standpoint. Good to hear. Good to hear. Mm, very good. You to hear. also won a Gemini Award for drums, a two-hour primetime special looking at indigenous issues across Canada, and a two-part series titled "Sniff Sniff You." Uh, Tell us a bit about Sniff. Uh, uh, what was that about? Sniff was my very, very first. Well, it actually, was my second documentary. But I had a. I was um, interned through a, through the Quarry Initiative uh, in Winnipeg to um, you know work on being a reporter, writer, broadcaster, and um, I, I had this story which I had been pitching, and and nobody seemed to be interested in it, and. It was called Sniff, and it basically was looking at, you know, a lot of the indigenous youth in the, in the community were um, either coming in from a re- remote areas, uh, and they were dealing with sniff. They were sniffing gasoline, they were sniffing solvents, and uh, it was really, really uh, affecting their health. So I, I, I pitched it. Uh, you know, CBC, the the editors at the time weren't interested, except for one. Irish journalist who um, was one of the producers and he was from Belfast. So he was intrigued. 
And he said, I'll, I'll work with you on this story. So we went out and we did the story. We looked at, uh, you know, how it was affecting, you know, people in the North, people in the South, uh, the communities, how it was uh, uh, destroying young people's lives. And um, it, uh, it went on to win a Gemini Award. And yeah. um, so that was my f- first real documentary. It was a two-parter. And uh, I went from being an intern to a bona fide writer broadcaster and uh, doubled my salary. And um, I did I did do an, a number of documentaries with um, uh, his name is Peter Werner. And and then I, I I gained some, I guess, respect from the rest of the uh, the white journalists there. And, and uh, I ended up working with a lot of them as well. Right. So that, that was a well, sniff. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, Winnipeg is. Um... Uh, maybe tell our listeners, uh, describe Winnipeg. I mean, Winnipeg is kind of a rough city and there's a, there's indigenous people that come from all over. Winnipeg has the, um, reputation, uh, of having a large indigenous population so much so that, uh, you know, when, when, when the, the, uh, Vietnamese people were leaving, um, Vietnam, they called them the boat people because they, they basically yep. had to jump on boats to survive because, you know, they couldn't airlift them out. So what they started calling the, the indigenous people here in, in Manitoba were the bus people, the people that were, came from bus from Northwest Ontario, yep. uh, Manitoba, Northern Manitoba, Saskatchewan, uh, even as far as, uh, you know, Alberta and, and yep. Winnipeg was the hub. And, um, you know, of course, Winnipeg is a very, um, and still is a very uh, racist city. And, um, you know, uh, the, the reconciliation efforts uh, are few and far between. Yeah, so that that Winnipeg is known for that. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to be done um, in relation to that. And I think a lot of those stories uh, that we do, like, you know, I, I, you know, when I talk about the, the, um, the Indian policing, I could do that story today. And you would still have the same yeah. results with the provisio that the, the, the community is now starting to look at safety as one of their issues. And so you now have, uh, and it was started here in, in Winnipeg, something called the bear clan patrol. And so, and so even the indigenous people that are trying to end homelessness and, um, you know, create jobs and, um, uh, you know, provide services for young people, uh, street people, they are, they are latching on to the fact that the Indian, the, the, in, uh, the white police forces are not going to provide it because they don't understand us that from a self-government standpoint, we need to move into that area and we need to police ourselves. And yeah. uh, otherwise you will have, you know, another, uh, Tina Fontaine, issue you will have you know alicia hudson was just murdered by the police um you have a lot of um people that are dying at the hands of the police because they don't understand our issues and so one of the major issues is 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 indian policing and i think that um uh, i am pushing to do another documentary on that as we speak and uh, we'll see what happens there but uh yeah i i i um i do documentaries uh wherever I can and wherever there's a need. Yeah. You've done several other documentaries and film work in your successful career as a filmmaker. Is there one that stands out the most for you or has meant the most to you? I think you, you mentioned a couple of them, uh, um, 
Sniff was one of them. The Pegasus Land Surrender. Is there one particular one that stands out the most? I think you, you mentioned one that you were most proud of. I'm all, I'm proud of them all. Um, but um, you know, I mean, you know, just just to be upbeat. One of the one of the best ones that I had had done, and, and I'm very proud of, was the one I did on the Winston Watney. Uh, Winston Watney, uh, uh, he was um, very influential, um, um, very entertaining, and uh, he was an educator, right? And uh, so we did a documentary called Kitaskew, He Who Sings. And uh, but yeah. he's not only a singer; he's very culturally uh, orientated. And um, so we did this documentary, and of course, you know, you know, my own spin on it because um, you know Winston is more of a um, uh, was sake jack and uh, yeah. so storyteller. He's, he's a storyteller, trickster. Uh, yeah. So he gets to you, but through his music and through his stories and everything else. So we did this uh, back in two thousand and six, I believe, and. Um, we we put it uh, you know to the festivals, and uh, it won um, uh, two awards uh, as a music documentary. Uh, but it was also accepted to the Palm Springs um, Film Festival, and and uh, it was was it was chosen out of three hundred submissions. And so I asked the guy. I said, "So you know, I mean, I I love the documentary, and it's a great story." And I asked the guy. I said, "Well, why did you choose it?" And the guy said to me, he says because it healed me his stories and his songs and, and the way he he deals with people was very uplifting and he said uh, it's probably one of the, the 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 most influential healing documentaries that he had seen and so yeah i mean i i just thought wow you know i i i didn't know it had that effect on people uh and um and you know and then winston also went on to to win the uh, or not win, but um, uh, get the Governor General's uh, Award for Achievement, right? So yeah. Yeah, that, I was very proud of that one. And uh, uh, Winston's a great, good friend of mine. I've known him. Well, you know, we both know him from the University of Brandon, where he was uh, he was uh, a teacher. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember him being a teacher. Probably a different course than you took. Yeah. But I do yeah. remember. But I he know did, who he, he did, is. He and, did uh, native uh, music. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe oh, after, right? left, but uh, yeah, he was there. Um, cause he was yeah. adopted uh, by, um, my brother's, um, wife's family in, in Sioux Valley. Yeah. yeah. He had his, he yeah. had horses there. He'd ride them and he was <laughs> also wow. teaching at Brandon university. Yeah. So I knew yeah. him intimately. And, uh, so, I mean, he told me his story, uh, and, um, it went on to win some awards and, and also I, I think if you look at it, um, uh, most, most people can watch it on Lumi, uh, APTN Lumi. Uh, mm -hmm. it's a great story. Yeah. APTN what? Lumi, L U M I. It's their um, um, digital platform where they where they run all their shows. That's okay. A documentary. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I, my, I, he's quite an entertainer. I've seen him entertain. I've seen him play guitar, sing at a few functions, and he's quite the entertainer. And it's so enjoyable to listen to his music and to the words that he speaks. And you know, quite a quite an incredible guy. He is. I wanted to, uh, before I forget, and it's not on my list of questions, but uh, I wanted to ask you, maybe mention, uh, uh, talk a little bit about your brother. I met your brother, Gordon Morris, so years ago uh, when we were young, going to university in Brandon. And I was, uh, I was uh, you know, 
an admirer of him, uh, his character, and his uh, his personality, and just the, the kind of the wonderful person he was. Uh, such a smart, good-looking guy, and he was very proud of his heritage. I could go on and on, but um, uh, it was saddened saddened me and probably a lot of people, you know, when he passed away mm-hmm. uh, several years ago. Uh, maybe you could just, you know, talk a little bit about him. Well, my brother was, you know, as you had said, um, he was uh, very, very, he was my mentor. He was my mentor. Um, he's the one that, uh, you know, I never would have went to university. He's the one that said to me, you know, he was at, he was at university. He was taking the, the program there and I had just graduated from high school and he said, well, why not come to university? And I said, well, you know, university, what's that? You know, like, what, what do you do there? <laughs> I mean, that's how green <laughs> I was. I mean, I was, uh, I was apprenticing to be a carpenter at the time. And, um, he said, well, try it for a year, you know, and, uh, I lived with him and, but, um, I never grew up with Gordon. Uh, Gordon uh, was adopted out uh, to, and and believe believe me, these are strange stories, but he was adopted by a Dakota woman and her white husband, a farmer husband. Uh, And basically what, you know, back then, uh, you know, the people adopted indigenous people to work their farms. I mean, so they were were indentured slaves, but uh, through, through that, Dakota woman, he, he learned the culture and, uh, it became very cultural. And, and certainly at the time, uh, there was a Renaissance, uh, with, uh, Indian activism, you know, the American Indian movement was uh, in full swing. The red power movement was in full swing across the country. Uh, and we had, you know, we had indigenous professors at the university of Brandon. Right. I mean, um, yeah. So, you know, it, 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 it was a movement. Uh, and, um, so I learned, you know, from him how to, um, to, to basically, um, uh, be proud of who we were to be proud of, of being indigenous, uh, yeah. and to, uh, and, and to stay in school and to take, you know, that's where I did take journalism for the first time. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I was very, uh, he was my, he was like my mentor. Um, you know, um, my father was, um, more of a carpenter and, and, and not very, um, giving um you know from a um, uh, academic standpoint but gordon was full into academics uh and uh, you know you, you should read this you should do this you should you should grow your hair long you know i mean yeah, yeah. Grow my hair long, you know and and uh, so you know you know yeah. me and gordon back in the day uh you know we went from you know short-haired indians to long-haired <laughs> braided men you know and, that, and and I remember that I remember the elder that had said to us, you know, he was he was an elder for uh, you know indigenous people across North America, a fellow by the name of Philip Deer, and he said, uh, I see one day where where the people will grow their hair long once again, and be proud of who they are, and it starts with you, yeah. and so that's what we did, and um, uh, so yeah, Gordon was uh, very influential, um, and um, he um, you know he he had a hard life, you know, I mean he was adopted out, and, but the bond that we yeah. had together as brothers was, um, was amazing. And, um, yeah, I, I, I really yeah. do miss him being around. Yeah. Yeah. I used to see you guys, you know, always together in Brandon. And I, I think even we're, we're inseparable. We were like, they used to call us the Bobsy twins, you know? And yeah, my brother was five right. years older than me too. Right. Like he was, um, yeah. Five years older than me, but, uh, he really loved the fact that, uh, you know, we were brothers and, uh, we, 
you know, we shared everything, you know, it was just, yeah. it was a magical almost. I, yeah. I think the last time I saw you guys was, uh, I mean, together was when we worked with the Royal Commission on Aboriginal people exactly. and uh, peoples. And we went out to Regina and um, he made a presentation there and, uh, and probably the last time I seen him and talked to him and uh, he did actually do a, a really good presentation. Yeah, he was doing for the Royal Commission, and yeah, yeah, and he was also he had a he had a power group too, didn't he? Yeah, I mean that that's what I'm saying. He um, through his sons and 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 my son, uh, they started a, a drum group uh, called Elks Whistle, and uh, they went uh, you know from being a very small drum group to being one of the best, and uh, um, they they did win uh, you know the most prestigious powwows in the country um they cut many many um uh i was gonna say albums but cds at the time and uh distributed those and uh yeah he um you know he my brother you know I'll, I'll tell you a little little aside my brother uh, loved Elvis, right yeah um, and he he loved that limelight and so my brother took I, and I, and then this is my interpretation. He took that limelight and, and turned it into an indigenous limelight. So he, he, he used that to become a singer himself, uh, and a oh. very good singer. And also, uh, one of the most, um, learned and prestigious, uh, indigenous, uh, people, um, in, in, you know, in, in, in any country out of him for that. And, um, Yeah. I always, I was, uh, at the time I knew him, I always thought that, you know, man, this guy could be, you know, the national chief of Canada. No. Uh, he had certainly had a, a great and, personality and, you know, um, he was, yeah, he was very politically inclined. Uh, he did run for the liberal party in, in Regina, uh, and yeah. I helped him with his campaign. Um, but yeah. he, he did have, he, he did have his health issues and, um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they caught up to him. Yeah, God bless him. Yeah, God bless him. You're also the you're also the artistic director for the Adam Beach Film Institute. Tell us yeah, about we, your role there, and what does the Adam Beach Film Institute do? The institute um, is no more. I mean, um, basically, what happened is we um, we tried to um, we we started in 2012, so we went for about eight good years. And within those years, what we wanted to do was to teach young people the basics of writing for television and, and film and, um, and, and shooting, you know, uh, uh, camera work, lighting, um, writing and, and, and hosting. Um, we, we had two programs there. One, we, one was called the, um, Aboriginal broadcast training initiative, which we started and trained, Oh, I would say 50, 60 people. Majority of them are still working in the industry. Um, and uh, we hired 20 of them when APTN um, started. Uh, I was the program director of APTN. So we, we, we trained them, we hired them, and they're, they're still working. Um, Adam wanted to um, start the Adam Beach Film Institute. We started that in 2012. Um, we had eight good years. But um, when COVID hit, uh, we couldn't get any funding for three years and uh, right. it just um, 
killed us. But uh, having said that, there are some uh, training programs that have started, and I, I do believe they were, they were because of the Adam Beach Film Institute um, that are running in Winnipeg, and uh, they do get they do get to go north. For example, you know, you have a lot of them that, that you know travel up to uh, Sitiuiasik, uh, Nelson House, uh, and uh, Tatasquak, uh, where you're from, Gordon, I believe. Yeah. So they, yes. they do train. They do train. So uh, the idea was just, you know, you know, hey folks, let's 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 train these young people with our knowledge, and uh, you know, how can we get them excited and and um, and into the profession. So that, you know, we do have storytellers down the line. And, and I think that we did a good job because a lot of them are, are there and a lot of them are moving up. And um, and uh, me and you, Gordon, we're not getting any, any younger. So we're, we're going to pass that that torch on to them. Right? For sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're not getting any younger. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. We're getting close to the end here, Jim. Just got a couple more questions for you. Um are you currently working on a film project now, and uh, what are your future future plans? <laughs> well, Gordon, um, I'm working um, with your wife, uh, Martha Flaherty, uh, and yeah. we're, look, we're, we're looking at doing um, uh, a film called Shadow of Nanook, and it, essentially what it looks at is, you know, what happened to her and her family um, and the Arctic exiles that were exiled to the north uh to you know save us from the russians to save us uh from them invading yeah. and uh, to maintain canada's sovereignty uh and which it still does uh you know up in up in her community of greece fjord uh, and resolute bay and those and those, those communities so uh you know it, it was a terrible terrible thing that happened and it was recent it was you know as recent as the 1950s that this happened. And I remember when I was at the Royal Commission, I I left CBC to go to the Royal Commission. Um, You know, the art exec exiles was, was a story that was, was out there, but most people don't know about it today. And I think that it's a, it's a a travesty and it's a shame that that story is not told today. And so, you know, Martha, uh, I know that, um, you know, she wants that story told. I know that your children, uh, want that story told, and I know that the the Inuit community wants that story told and recognized in places like the Canadian Human Rights Museum, um, mm-hmm. so that the world does not forget. You know, you know, uh, yeah. you, you have you have museums that that with, with the philosophy is you know never forget, lest we forget. Well, let's not forget yeah. what happened there as well. And so, you know, we're, we're working right now to uh, raise some money to uh, tell our story. And I believe because of the spirit of that story, that um, it, will, it will come to light and it will fulfill uh, Martha's um, wishes to be recognized uh, within that uh, Canadian Human Rights Museum. Uh, well, I certainly look forward to, you know, helping you out on that. And uh, so is Martha. She's, you know, kind of pretty keen geared up for for that and uh she, we'll she's not getting any younger either so i mean i think that you know no, time sure. is of the essence yeah. and, and i think we need to right right tell yeah. that story yeah for sure final question here for you jim um you know there's a, always this talk recently about reconciliation in canada and uh 
different people have, you know, their different views, different thoughts on, you know, reconciliation. How do you feel about this uh, reconciliation and how we can make Canada a better country for everyone? Well, I think that, uh, and, and, you know, I, I could say it in one word, safety. Uh, I think that, safety. you know, people, Indigenous people need to feel safe within their own communities, right? Whether it be remote, on the reserve, uh, and or in, in, the, in the cities where we, uh, we still maintain our, our rights as, as Indigenous people. Um, so, you know, we, we need to look at, and I mentioned this before, but, you know, uh, what are the self-government institutions and what are they doing to promote that safety? You know, I mean, places like, you know, here in Winnipeg, we have uh, End Homelessness. Uh, we have the Main Street Project. We have the Thunderbird House. We have uh, the Aboriginal uh, Council of Winnipeg. Uh, we have, we have, I would say, over thirty groups that are working within that area. And 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 w- what they're looking for is to provide that uh, comfort and that safety to live their lives. And you know, so right. a lot of them are looking towards. You know, well, if the police, the Winnipeg police force is not doing it for us, how are we going to do it? And, you know, that's another documentary that I'm, I'm trying to revive, looking at public safety. Once you can get public safety in your community, no matter where you live as an Indigenous person, then you can um, exercise your self-government, your self-determination, and make a better place for your children. And that's, that's right. what we need to do. And uh, so that, that's, that's how I see reconciliation. I may not ever see it in my lifetime, but certainly I'd like to see it in, in, in the lifetime of my grandchildren because yeah. they have to live in this world and, you know, uh, and, and, and they should feel safe wherever they go. So yeah, right. that, that safety just, um, it seems to drive, to drive everything for me, you know, yeah. um, you know, even with, with, uh, with Martha, they should have been able to feel safe where they, where they were and not, uh, you know, be at the, at the, the, the whim of the RCMP and, and the government of the day. Yeah. That, that, that they were taken from their safe communities into a hostile right. environment and it, it still affects them today and nobody knows about it. And so, you know, right. that's why we need to tell those stories and, 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 and reconcile and change uh, as we move forward. Excellent. Well said, Jim. You know, yeah. thank you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Uh, My pleasure. Us. And uh, anything, Gordon, I'll, I'll, I'll come be. back again if you want. <laughs> we will. We will definitely, uh, once you finish this uh, film with uh, uh, yes. Shadows of Nanook, I'll uh, come by and uh, call on you again to have another discussion. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, definitely. on behalf of the Legacy of Hope Foundation, I want to thank you. You're a talented uh, filmmaker, talented person. Uh, a you. great friend, yeah. trailblazer, role model, you know, you're just a great person to, to talk to, to be around. And uh, I really thank you on behalf of the Legacy of Hope Foundation for taking the time to do this. I know you're a busy guy, so yeah. thank you. We'll see you again.
Birds and Hoots is produced by the Legacy of Hope Foundation. For more podcasts like this, please visit our website at legacyofhope.ca.